is where we're at. <clears throat> Last week we looked at verses 1 through 11, and we saw Jesus' first miracle uh, in his uh, earthly ministry here. And remember we saw it, at, it was at a wedding in Canaan, and he turned that wine or that water into wine. And uh, we talked about weddings, and we talked about marriage. And uh, we talked about not only marriage between one man and one woman, holy matrimony in the scripture, uh, but we also considered even that mystery of, of us being the bridegroom of Christ and the Lord even taking the most intimate covenant that we know here on earth and using it as a picture of the covenant that we have with him by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we saw in that miracle that it is a picture of the new covenant. And remember we saw those pots that were there for water for purification were empty and we saw how that that old covenant had ran its course and this morning we'll see once again really the emptiness that was there in that old system that had been put in place which was the shadow but jesus christ is the substance and uh as those uh the the the, that wedding had ran out of wine this morning we're going to see really that uh, in many ways, the glory had departed from uh, the Jews and the religious system. But praise God, uh, Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. And uh, the glory of God rested upon him. And this morning, we're going to see in this that uh, the Lord was very frustrated and upset with what the, the Jews had uh, put forth and how far they had drifted from God's plan for them. And uh, as we'll see this morning, he goes there into the temple and the, he sees they made it a house of merchandise instead of a house of ministry. And the Lord overturning those tables. And so we'll talk about the zeal of the Lord for the Father's business and ask that question, what are we zealous for today? Are, are we zealous just for the business of this world or, uh, again, the kingdom of God? And then we're going to see, again, Jesus making a prophetic proclamation about his death and resurrection. And that would be the case throughout his ministry, even pointing uh, the disciples to uh, Scripture proclaiming these things and how uh, the disciples would remember certain passages as they unfolded and so forth. But they needed to have God's Word in their heart in the first place to remember those things, to have them brought to their memory. And it's a reminder of a few things for us that indeed Jesus did die and He was resurrected for our sins. And it's also an exhortation for us to get God's Word in our hearts that the Lord can bring those scriptures to remembrance as well uh, when we see prophecy unfolding and when the Lord wants to bring truth before us so we can test the things out there, whether they're biblical or not. We need to have God's word in our heart. And then at the end of this passage this morning, we're gonna see that there were some that believed in the name of Jesus because of the signs that he did, but they didn't actually believe in Christ for salvation. And we're going to see how the Lord committed himself to his disciples, but the others, it says he didn't commit himself to them. He didn't need their testimony because they knew the heart of all men. And indeed, God the Father testified of his ministry, and we'll consider that. And there'll be a lot of applications for us on all these things. So let's read through the text together here, verse 12 down through 25. Encourage you to follow along, and then we'll get in here. And it's just my prayer we get just really blessed in ministry today through his word. So it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. 
And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers of money and overturned their tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Verse 18. So the Jews answered and said to them, said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus has said to them. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify a man, for he knew what was in man. Now notice here verse 12, it says after this, and we already talked about what came before this, that wedding in Canaan. And again, just as in that wedding, remember when the water was turned into wine, the master there of the wedding said, most people serve the better wine at the beginning, but you have saved it for the latter. And again, one of many pictures there of the new covenant, that we are partakers of the better covenant, of again, the new covenant of Jesus's blood shed for us. And we need to rejoice in that every day, that we're saved by grace through faith and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Uh, not a works that we should boast and we have a great assurance of our salvation through the work of the cross of calvary and this morning i just encourage you to rest in that today and if you haven't called on the name of jesus to know that today is the day of salvation that this day the lord wants to wash you and cleanse you and be your lord and savior but that takes you humbling your heart and calling upon him and asking him to be your Lord and your Savior. And indeed, he will meet you right where you're at. And, and that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, notice here they're at, at Capernaum. And we've seen him at Bethesda. We've seen him at Canaan. And now we see him at Capernaum. And this would become really the Lord's headquarters over the next three, three and a half years of his ministry there on earth. And it seems as we lay the gospels upon one another that it was right before this, and John doesn't write about it, but we read about it in the other Gospels, that Jesus went to Nazareth, his hometown, and it would be at that point that they would reject him there. That as he went there and, and, and was teaching again with authority and wanted to do miracles amongst them, though he was limited because of their lack of faith. Remember, they began to ask, you know, who, who is this? Is this not, you know, the, the son of Joseph and the, the son of Mary? Is this not the carpenter's son? And they didn't want to receive the fact that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. And it even talks there about them wanting to, to throw him over the cliff. And if you go to Nazareth this day, you, you see that it's, it's on a plane, that it's up above the other you know, cities and so forth. And you see that cliff that they wanted to run him off. But remember, Jesus walked right through the midst of them because it wasn't his time. And there's great encouragement for us in that because uh, our days are in God's hands. And oftentimes the enemy wants to surround us with fear and so forth. But you got to remember in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he's going to see us through every fire and every flood. And uh, we need to move forward in the Lord Jesus Christ and walk through uh, even the intimidation of the wicked one as the Lord did there in Nazareth. And so it seems that he went there to Capernaum. And again, he would do many miracles and teachings amongst them. But 
Unfortunately, with Capernaum, we read uh, it was similar to some of these other cities where the Lord did great works amongst them. And yet at the end, when, you know, he laid down his life and even rose from the grave, there were a few in Capernaum that believed. And uh, it's a pattern that we see through the scripture that when, when people are looking to believe just because of signs, um, oftentimes they forget about those signs after the fact. But when we look to the scriptures and we, we, we see prophecy fulfilled through the scriptures, it builds a faith in our life, a saving faith that, that, that really lasts and is robust. Because there with Capernaum, again, we read the Lord pronouncing a woe on them. And you can read about that in Matthew 11 where the Lord says they'll be more tolerable in, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah or in their judgment than, than for you in your judgment. Because of the things that were done amongst you would have been done amongst them, they would have repented. And in there in Capernaum, they saw these signs and wonders, but still so many lacked faith because they looked at the signs versus looking at the scriptures. And, and God's so good to us in that he does give us many signs and confirmations of who he is. But listen, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in your trust in him, don't say, give me a sign, Lord. Say, Lord, let me open the scriptures because it's the scriptures that build faith. And then in the scriptures, you'll see signs and wonders through the fulfillment of God's prophecy and so forth. But the scriptures is what builds faith in our life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing what? The word of God. It doesn't say faith comes by hearing and seeing, but by hearing, hearing the truth of God's word, which is powerful and is active. Now, again, they're down there at Capernaum and they would be there again on many occasions. And it says that he's there, his mother's there, his brothers are there, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. And notice the order here. It's a proper order. It says that, that, that the, the first mention is he. And we want that to be the case in our lives. Then when it talks about our lives, you know, uh, and it's a description of, of those around us, uh, we want it to say, oh, well, Jesus was there, right? Jesus first. And, and, and then, you know, the, the parents and the kids and the disciples and so forth. And hopefully it's that proper order. Of, of him first we don't want it to be well steve was there and these other people and so forth and we think jesus might have been there we're not really sure or not no it's the proper order he's first and uh whenever we put him first we can rest that all these other things will be added unto us uh, maybe this morning there's not proper order in your life there's not proper order in your home maybe there's not proper order in your business at times we get to the place where there's not proper order in our fellowship and that's why we got to step back and we got to ask the question who's first is jesus being put first are we looking to his word first are we leaning on our own understanding are we leaning on our own opinion are, are, are we looking to natural resources first or are we looking to the lord and listen it's it's good because this is easily corrected by just saying lord forgive me for not putting you first forgive us for not getting our eyes on you forgiving us for 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 not being a people of prayer first but again leaning on our own strengths and so forth and the lord loves when we humble our hearts before him and wants to answer those prayers and minister to those prayers and i i, I just love it because he's not like us when we don't feel like we're getting the acknowledgement that we should get and then someone says well i'm sorry and we're like well i kind of forgive you but not really and my feelings are going to be hurt for the next three years and i'll remember it the lord's not like that uh, again he 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 welcomes that he knows we're flesh and blood he knows we're prone to sin and when we acknowledge that sin and call out to him he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness now again we see 
once again that Mary's just referred to as his mother and we talked about this last week how she's never mentioned by name in the gospels and I think if you were to ask Mary she would want it that way because she wanted all glory to go to the son Uh, we never see her proclaiming herself as some co-redeemer or queen of heaven or savior and in that text last week we saw that Jesus is the ladder to heaven that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father but by him and Mary was one who professed herself as a sinner recognizing she needed a savior and that's really what made her special in the fact that she was true and honest with God the father and that's really what gave her favor was her humility not her perfection because her perfection only came through faith in Christ Jesus just like uh, with us also notice here his brothers are there and at this point his brothers are there with the disciples but they're not disciples themselves they were skeptics in fact later on in Jesus's ministry they'd go try to you know what rope Jesus in and they say look our brother thinks he's the Messiah what's wrong with this guy and so forth Uh, but as in this text and we already read and we'll get to it Jesus talks about destroying this temple in three days he'll raise it up about his body it was at that resurrection when they saw the scriptures fulfilled that his brothers then would become disciples when they saw again the gospel being fulfilled and then of course Jesus's disciples are there with him and that's how it should be are you a disciple of Christ today can you say amen to that then again going back to him being first um, you know what we want to be with him with him being first it also says they didn't stay there many days and throughout these gospels we see Jesus it seems always on the move it says here he went up and then he went down and went up again and so forth and one thing we got to know is that Jesus wasn't always just busy for travel sake it wasn't like hey I want to go to Capernaum because they got you know some great outlets over there uh, you know, I want to go over here and, you know, it, uh, it, it's great fishing right now at the Sea of Galilee. Uh, but he was on the move because he was about his father's business. He was being led by the father. And we want to be, again, led by the father as well. And sometimes that might be him moving us around a busy week. And at other times it might be him just saying, stay put. I got you right where I want you. And, and uh, either way, we can rest and rejoice when, when we're, again, about his business. That's a good place to be. And uh, we need not fear, no matter where we are, if we're, again, about the Father's business. Even if He calls us into uh, dire straits by man's definition, uh, when you're in the will of Father, it's in the best place that you can possibly be. Now, verse 13 is interesting. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, notice here, again, it says the Passover of the Jews, not the Passover of the lord and um throughout the the old testament you'll see the passover refer referred to as the passover of the lord uh, because it did, it, indeed it was the lord who who passed over and didn't bring death to the firstborn there uh, amongst the jews when they were in egypt when they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost but it become now called the passover of the jews or you know what the holy spirit is moving upon john has him pinned the Passover of the Jews. And uh, this is really because of how the wine had ran out of the wedding. Listen, the glory had departed from the temple. And this Passover that was supposed to be the Lord's Passover and about the Lord had become about the Jews and about men and about the, all their rules and about all their regulations and so forth. And there was more emphasis on the traditions of men and do not touch and so forth that they had added to the law versus what the law had just put forth to show that they were sinners 
and it was them controlling men and so forth and it was about them and it wasn't about god but praise god though the glory had departed from the temple the glory of god rested on the lord jesus christ and as he went up there to jerusalem to celebrate the passover listen he went there with the glory of the father upon him we also see in this that though jesus did not honor the traditions of men and that really irked the pharisees this is why they were so intent on crucifying him because he wouldn't do those things uh, that they had put forth that the father had him put forth and they were always trying to stumble him and bring accusation against him in that but he always kept the perfect law of the father and it was part of the law you can read about it in deuteronomy in fact in verse 16 it says three times a year all your males shall appear before the lord your god in the place which he chooses which would be jerusalem for the feast of unleavened bread which was also passover the feast of weeks which is pentecost and the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths and the lord honored again the law perfectly uh, in fact he said there in matthew 5 17 don't think that i came to destroy the law of prophets i didn't come to destroy but fulfill them and you always see jesus prefer perfectly fulfilling the law of god and the will of god and if he hadn't perfectly fulfilled it then he wouldn't be a perfect savior because what's required of us for salvation it's prefer perfectly fulfilling not the law of man but the law of god and all of us perfectly fall short of that in every aspect and it separates us from god almighty and again that's why when it's about you know our system if it's if it's the passover of the gentiles now we have no hope if our gathering here today is around us and us you know putting forth some traditions and say you're right with god through doing what we say we need to do to be right with god that's a hopeless system that might might be a way that seems right to men or to a man but it's going to lead to destruction hopes found again in the passover of the passover of the lord which is what fulfilled in the lord jesus christ himself as it says in first corinthians he is our passover you want to have your sins passed over this morning that sounds like a good deal right you got to put faith in jesus christ then you're going to be under the blood and indeed your sin's going to be passed over and you can have assurance of salvation because he fulfilled that law if it's not in him then you're going to be judged and you're going to be judged according to the law of God and you're going to find that you're a liar you're going to find you're a thief you're a blasphemer you're disobedient you've been disobedient to your parents and everything else we're a transgressor of that law and that's what shows us we need the Lord Jesus Christ and again this is why the Old Testament system was so, so broken at this point because God had given it to them to show them they needed a savior and instead of these religious high-ups really preaching, hey, the Messiah has come, the one to prepare the way has come, and John the Baptist, it's time for us to repent, and let's rejoice that our Savior has come. Instead, what did they do? They had made their own system and their own ways, and it was depleted, and it was just breaking everything around them. Now, notice verse 14. And he, or Jesus, founded the temple, those who sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers, notice here doing business now one thing we got to know is there was absolutely nothing wrong with them being there in fact if you read deuteronomy 14 the lord had made provision for there to actually be money changers and for individuals who were going to those feasts those three feasts a year that they needed to go to if they were in a very far distant place where it would be a burden for them to bring that animal sacrifice 
whether they were impoverished and it was doves and pigeons or if they were a great wealth and it was cattle or somewhere in the middle with a sheep or a goat to bring sacrifice for their sin god in his compassion and mercy had made a way for them to be able to sell their sacrifice where they were to come to the temple to exchange their money from wherever they came from for the currency that would be there in the temple and then to be able to buy a beast to be able to offer up for their their uh, sin in fact deuteronomy fourteen twenty three says but if the journey is too long for you so that you're not able to carry the tithe or, or if the place where the lord your god chooses to put your name is too far from you when the lord your god has blessed you then you shall exchange it for money take the money in your hand and you go to the place which the lord your god chooses and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires and it goes through the various sacrifices and so forth See, it's pretty easy today when we bring our tithes and offerings, you bring a check or whatever else, or, you know, you go right on there and PayPal. But can you imagine if you got to bring, you know, a, a, a couple cows to, to, to uh, church this morning or so forth? And let's say I know there's some folks that come from South County or over the coast or whatever, and, you know, your, your trailer there that you haul your livestock in has got a flat tire, that would be difficult. And so it would be like, well, come here, and we got some cattle in the back and so forth, and you can bring your money. You know what? It, we, we kind of laugh at that, but imagine the difficulty for some folks to bring that. So again, God is compassion and made this way. And so the problem wasn't there that, that they were there. The problem was is that this, this provision that God had provided to, to show his grace and mercy had been turned into something else. Because these money changers and these that were selling, again, the, the various animals and so forth, they weren't there serving God in ministry but instead, what were they doing? They were doing business. And in doing this business, they were taking advantage of the people by upping the rates of exchange. Now, there would be nothing wrong even with them making a livelihood from what they were doing. The, the labor is worthy of their wage, but they were just straight up ripping people off. And listen, business done honestly is fine. The Lord, I don't read anywhere in the Bible where the Lord is against capitalism. And, and, and again, it's part of what makes the world go around, the exchanging of money and services and goods and so forth. Business done honestly is fine. In fact, when business is done honestly here, this this morning, it's to the glory of God. The Bible talks about, you know, at unjust scales and so forth. And when we do it honestly before the Lord, it's to His glory. Uh, but listen, going to church and, and, and making the main aim of going to church to profit off of others is not fine. And over the years, I've ran into many people that talk about going to church or a church or being part of a, a, uh, you know, some church with the predominant purpose of going there to, you know, to, to add to their clients and so forth. And they always got a big pocket of business cards on them. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get someone else's business or they're in some sort of multi-level thing. And instead of looking at, you know, at people around them as brothers and sisters in the Lord, they're looking at them as marks. And it's sad when you see this. It's sad when people get caught up in some of these, you know, businesses and so forth, and all of a sudden they're interested in people they were never interested in before. And they're not interested in them because of the things going on in their life, and they're a brother or sister of the Lord or someone that needs the Lord. They're interested because they see dollar signs on them. They think, I can make money off this person. And, and listen, we want to guard ourselves from that because we're all susceptible to it. We, we absolutely are. And if you've been in that place where you've fallen into that pattern or trap, you need to repent from that and ask God to change your heart. And let me, let me tell you something. When you do that, 
The Lord will go before you in that business. Put the Lord first in your business. Go, go and look to your brother and sister to minister to them. And then, then maybe through the course of that, they are, they are someone that needs your service. But let that come from seeking the Lord first and caring about them first. We, we don't want to get backwards in these things. And so the problem was, again, they, they weren't doing ministry. If it, it, it would have said, it would have said here, he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing ministry, that would have been a glorious thing. Because again, they, they, there, there was a purpose for them, but instead of doing ministry, they were doing business. Verse 15, and when, they, when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Now, as I was reading this this week, I, I had to wonder what his mother's, his, or his mother, his, his brothers, and his disciples were thinking when he went over and started making this whip, Right? You know, what's he doing here? A whip of cords or a whip of ropes? And considering the fact that he just drove everyone out of that place, this must have been quite a whip that he was making. And, and you know what? It just had to have been going through their mind because it wouldn't be until it happened that they would remember the scriptures. They had to be thinking, well, what's he doing here? What, what's, what's going on here? You, you ever wonder what Jesus is doing? You know, sometimes sometimes it's like our life's being turned upside down it's like what, what are you doing here lord but he always knows what he's doing and that's a glorious thing so many times i don't know what i'm doing but he always knows what he is doing and so he makes his whip accords and it says he drove not a few of them out but he drove all of them out of the temple and and not just them but he also drove out their sheep and their oxen and and poured out the changers money and overturned the tables and listen this wasn't a small group here We'll, we'll talk more about this in a second. This was in the court of the Gentiles, which is a pretty large area. And, and no doubt this looked like, you know, some Middle Eastern marketplace as they were doing business. And here comes one man with a whip of cords and he drives, drives all of them out, turns their tables, dumps their money. Basically, it says Jesus wrecked the place is what happened. And, and just picture it in your mind like, you know what, probably way more than we have here today and the lord coming in or one man with a whip and us just driving us all out along with our dogs and cats and parakeets and all our pets and so forth you know just driving us all out um notice here though again in verse 14 it says he found them and uh, in john 1 we saw jesus seeking out man and finding them for salvation right and and we talked about that in uh, in more than one of our studies and today he's seeking out men wanting to save them. I mean, the Holy Spirit goes forth convicting men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God knocking on the doors of hearts, men's wanting to save them. But, but we see a picture here of, of, of judgment. And we got to know the day is going to come when God's going to seek out unsaved men and he's going to judge them. And this is just a little glimpse. We know in the Lord's first coming, he came lowly on a colt, born in a manger. He came to save, but you see glimpses of his second coming when he's going to come back on a white horse, when he's going to come back and he's going to judge the world. Acts 17.30 says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained and he has, and he has given assurance to, of this to all by raising him from the dead. And so that day is coming when, when, when God's going to come with a judgment and there's going to be no hiding and everything is going to come into the light. 
And you can read there in Revelation 19 where, uh, it, it, listen, everything's going to get wrecked and laid down. Those that don't call upon the name of Christ are, are going to give an account for their sins. And a judgment's going to come upon them. And it's interesting with the Lord's ministry on earth. At the beginning of his ministry, he goes there and he cleans out the temple. And then at Passion Week, before he went to the cross, he goes up to Jerusalem again. And what's the first thing he does? He goes there and he cleans out the temple again. And it's just a double emphasis on the judgment of God. And I know there's a lot of people, they hear passages like this and, and they say, well, that won't happen. I know, listen, I'm a good person and so forth. And it's just going to be different for me. And yet you see these pictures all throughout the Word of God once, twice, multiple times, that assurance that there's going to be a judgment. And, and this is why, again, there's such good assurance in knowing that you're in Christ Jesus and you're covered by His blood. And you say, Lord, I want to accept the, the, the judgment that you took on my behalf at the cross of Calvary. And, and this is why He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him because outside of Him, everything's going to get judged. And it's going to be ugly those that choose to reject him whether they're standing in their own righteousness uh self-righteousness or or for whatever reason they reject the god of heaven verse 16 and it says and he said to those who sold doves take these things away do not make my house my father's house a house of merchandise so listen it's saying take these things away the lord's saying repent you you need to take this away you need to correct this um get this out of here again in another passage he talks about his father's house being a house of prayer and yet they made it a den of thieves and uh sadly we see so many pictures today of the church where instead of it being a house of prayer it's become a den of thieves and it's so important in our fellowship here that we put the emphasis on prayer and worship and god's word and um you know we 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 make it our aim to uh, be upright in the finances that the lord provides for him uh, provides for us we read in first peter 5 2 it says shepherd the flock of god which is among you serving as overseers not by compulsion but willingly he says not for dishonest gain but eagerly uh, in king james it says for filthy lucre you know it uh, against selfish game not looking at individuals as a mark to profit from but individuals as people that God has put before us to minister to. And again, that was the problem in the temple. They were doing business. They weren't doing ministry. And you don't have to look far today to see so many examples of church being big business. And it being about nickels and noses versus ministering to hearts and brokenness and so forth. Um, you could go and... and go to a website or a web search and, and put millionaire pastors and one after another just starts popping up. Most of them are the word of faith uh, variety that, you know, they say you put faith in your words and you become a millionaire and if you give me all your money, then you become rich, though they're the ones getting rich while the people getting money are not getting rich. It's like they're scratching lotto tickets over here and they, they keep losing out and so forth. And you, you'll see this list, and it's a long list of, again, individuals that are worth tens of millions of dollars, not because they went out and the Lord led them to build a business and they're using that money then for ministry, but they're, they're millionaires off the backs of, of, of their congregants. And again, we know that those that labor in the Scripture are worth a, a, you know, a, a double blessing or double honor, 
but these guys it's it's something where they're driving around in bentleys and mansions and then there's so many people in their fellowships that have absolutely nothing really even praying the bible talks about upon those that are weak-minded and so forth and uh the scriptures address these things titus 1:10 says for there are many insubordinate both idle talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision notice here whose mouths must be stopped who subvert whole households teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain or again filthy lucre and distorting god's word to again just plunder the people um and there's a greater judgment in that and that's why the lord even goes in there and wrecks this place because there was a a greater judgment and so we want to take that to heart and if we start again looking at people around us as a business opportunity versus a ministry opportunity we need to get corrected in that today also which was something that was really sad about this is that all this was going on in the court of the gentiles and and you had your your holy of holies the outer court and then the court of the gentiles and the court of the gentiles is where again the gentiles could come and seek ministry and so forth and here a gentile would be coming perhaps with a hunger for the god of heaven and can you imagine them rolling up on this and just seeing a marketplace and not seeing ministry at all but just seeing business and looking just like the world and and we know in the book of romans you know the lord moves or paul to write the gentiles hate me because of you because of your behavior because of your actions because they don't see god but instead you know they they just see a mirror of the world that they're trying to get out of they don't see it representing the lord and i'll tell you when the church just becomes about business and not ministry we're doing it in a way right out in the court of gentiles and the world sees it and how many people in the world are turned off from the things of god because of the big business of church i also find it interesting of how it seems oftentimes when it comes to this in particular manner i I see more people that don't know the lord seeming to have more discernment than people that do know the lord where they just look and you know they turn on 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 tbn and so many of the pastors on there i don't even want to call them pastors it's just about pilfering money and the world looks at that and they're like oh man these dumb christians and then a christian turns on and they say well you know what we shouldn't judge we we just don't know the heart and we don't know the heart but look at the fruit look at the doctrine look at look at you know at the 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 twisted messages being put forth when everything's just about money and we are called to test all things i can't judge anyone's heart it's an unrighteous judgment we better judge their doctrine we better judge the fruit of their ministry the bible talks about again judging lives and so forth and here's the thing again uh jesus judged this behavior and erected and for a christian to accept it i would have to say is antichrist because the lord didn't accept it he called it out and called accountability in it and so i think oftentimes in, in christianity there's too many things that we just let go by that we need to call to an account because the world is watching and the bible even talks about again us making judgments within the house of god now it's not us to be judgy and become little pharisees but again the hopes would be that that we could get sin out of the camp and all the more abound in the lord can we say amen to that verse 17 it says then his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house has eaten me up and uh again can you imagine the disciples seeing all this unfold listen this is the system that they grew up in and they knew they they knew going again to the local synagogue and going to the temple three times a year and bringing up a a sacrifice and 
who knows how many times they were far away and had to go and exchange their money and you know buy one of those sacrifices there and then they see jesus out here making this whip and going in there and wrecking the whole thing and they were probably going what in the world's going on who is this guy that we're following have we made a big mistake and praise god in the midst of that the holy spirit brought to the remembrance scripture and they remembered psalm 69 9 zeal for your house has eaten me up and this very thing that i believe this is my just personal thought or opinion on it this this thing that could have been a great stumbling block to them all of a sudden became a great affirmation why because they had the scripture in their hearts and they remembered yes the messiah the messiah will have a zeal for the temple he'll have a zeal for the house of god and again because they had the scriptures in their heart the holy spirit was able to bring those scriptures to remembrance and listen there's so many things that happen in our life that the enemy wants to use for our harm and for our detriment and to to shake our faith and i think that he easily can when we are not anchored in the scriptures when we're not able to step back and say well wait a minute what's god's word say about this or we're not even in that place where the where god can bring the scriptures to our heart because we haven't first put scriptures in our heart and this is why we want to be a people that get in god's word and we want to be people as well when things come up when we're going what in the world's going on that we immediately turn to the lord in prayer and we turn to the scriptures and we say what do the scriptures say about this what do the scriptures say about the unfoldings in the world today going on around us what's the scriptures say about again the things going on in my life and the things that seem to be threatening my existence and so forth. What's God's word say about these things? Because it's a wonderful thing when you can stand in the assurance of the word of truth. And so again, the word of God comes to the remembrance. And God uses this thing that could have rattled their faith instead to strengthen their faith. And again, the scripture that remember, Psalm 69.9, zeal uh, for your house has eaten me up. And we see that Jesus here had a passion about the ministry of the Father. Again, those in the temple were wrapped up with a passion for business, but not Jesus. He was not wrapped up with a passion for earthly mammon. And the Lord could have made more money than anyone ever in the history of the world. He could have had more stuff, more toys, whatever he wanted, he could have had them. But he made his aim the Father's business. And no doubt he was disgusted with these religious men who were there to lead people to God who were actually leading them away from God. He had come to lead them to God. There's someone scrambling right now, I know. I don't... <laughs> and listen, no doubt, again, we see on different occasions the Lord rebuking these people who were there to lead people to God who were stumbling from God. In Matthew 23, 13, the Lord said, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And they, they were there stumbling people out there in the court of the Gentiles, prohibiting people from going into the kingdom of God. Not with Jesus, though. He was there to lead people to the kingdom of God. And we got to remember, that's his heart still to this day. To, to see people get saved and born again and as the lord had a zeal for that then he still has that zeal for that today the lord has not lost his zeal for evangelism maybe we've lost ours but he hasn't lost his it's it's brewing and it's burning zeal it means to have a great energy or enthusiasm or pursuit 
for a cause or for an object. And zeal is such a wonderful thing because zeal, listen, it produces action. There's a difference between real godly zeal and emotions. Emotions, it's a crapshoot. It can produce anything. But zeal of the Lord produces action. In 1 Kings 19.31 and Isaiah 37.32, it says, The zeal of the Lord will do this. The zeal of the Lord brings forth action. And as Jesus had a zeal for his father's house, and he had the authority to do what he did, it moved him to go in and turn those tables. Let me ask you this morning, what are you zealous for? I look around the world, and it seems there's a lot of people that are zealous for nothing. Their life has become a bump on the log. Their life consists in getting by without stirring any waves, without doing nothing to, you know what, uh, shake the environment around them whatsoever. They're just like, my goal in life is to exist. They're zealous for nothing. There's others that they have zeal, but it's just for earthly things. Their pursuit is just for things that will have no eternal reward, things that are passing. But what about the eternal things? Again, the Lord was zealous for the eternal things. Are this, mor- this morning, are you, are you zealous for pursuing God? Are you zealous for the proclamation of truth? Are you zealous for prayer, for, you know, at the prayer meetings? Are, are you zealous for truth, for evangelism? Again, to see souls get saved, for missions, using your spiritual gifts. Is there zealousness in, in your life at all for the Lord? And, and if there's not, then that's a problem. And, and, and that, there needs to be a correction there. And the good thing is that, again, the Lord wants to minister to our problems, doesn't he? And the Bible, again, talks about getting filled afresh with the Holy Spirit and, and getting God's word in your heart to, to, to wash you and invigorate your, your walk with the Lord. And I'd encourage you, if you've lost that zeal, to get back into Scripture. Start digging deep in Scripture and start asking God to, to give you a fresh zeal and a fresh unction and a filling of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, listen, it's also getting detox from the world around us. There, there might just be in, too much influence from the world that you're allowing to come in that, that is just, again, quenching the work of the Spirit in your life. And these are things you got to take and you got to do business before the Lord. And you got to be honest before the Lord with. Another note with this, listen, zeal is a good thing, but zeal out of control is not a good thing. And, and we want to have zeal, but we also want to have meekness, and that's power under control. I think about Josiah, that young king who, who brought all the reforms there to Israel, but, you know, instead of tempering his zealousness, his life ended in him going at war with Egypt, and it wasn't a war that God called him to. Even the king of Egypt said, hey, what are you doing out here? God hasn't called you to come fight me. And he didn't keep his zeal in check, and it cost his life. Could you imagine if Jesus, his whole ministry was marked by him taking a whip to every sinful situation? <laughs> if he just had that whip with him everywhere he went. And, and that, that woman caught in adultery, you know what? He brings out the whip. And the woman at the well in John 4, he takes out that whip. And the rich young ruler, he takes out that whip. And everywhere he went, he just beat people. And listen, he could have done it. He, he, he's the God of heaven. But, but he walked with great mercy. He walked with great compassion. 
in this situation, the whip needed to be brought out because these that were to lead God or lead men to God were not leading men to God, and he needed to correct it. But he didn't continually bring out his whip with his zeal just to destroy people. And remember, we started the book talking about John, the son of thunder, who wanted to call down fire on those Samaritans that were rejecting Christ. And the Lord said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. And maybe this morning, it's, it's, it's the opposite of a bump on the log. You have so much zeal that you're taking the whip out on every single situation. You got to be careful because the Lord might take the whip out on you because you're misrepresenting them. The Lord knows we're, we're surrounded by sinners everywhere we go. And it's not a thing that we're to avoid talking about sin. Jesus talked about sin. He talked about the need to repent from sin. But he did it in a way where men, again, would, would, would know they can come to him and be washed and forgiven and cleansed. And we want to represent the Lord well. We want to have that right balance. So, Lord, help us in it. Grant us grace and mercy. Can we say amen to that? Because, man, we need it. Verse 18, it says, So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? And I, I, I laugh when I read that because I just think, One man just wrecked the entire place? That's a pretty good sign in itself, wouldn't you say? These guys always wanted a sign they could see with their natural eyes because they were natural men and they would see so many, but it wouldn't make a difference. They refused to look at the scriptures. Again, the means that God gave to save the Jews and the Gentiles, it's the scriptures, it's the gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation. Again, the disciples remember the scriptures when all this happened. These are just a bunch of fishermen that basically got kicked out of, you know, it rabbi school themselves they weren't qualified they were unlearned and here's the guys that are supposed to be learned they're not remembering the scriptures because they were about their own business so jesus points them to the one sign he would point them to and even the disciples to over and over again verse 19 and 20 it says jesus answered and said to them destroy this temple and in three days i will raise it up then the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And there would be other occasions in the midst of all the signs and wonders that Jesus was doing where they would come and say, hey, listen, if you're from the Father, show us a sign. Like in Matthew 12, 38, it says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He pointed them to this over and over and over again. Why? Because this is what he came to do. He came to provide that means of salvation. He came to go on the cross of Calvary to take the wrath to us, to lay down his life because the wages of sin is death, to be buried there in the earth, to be resurrected on the third day to defeat sin, death, and Satan so that any and all who would call upon his name for salvation could be washed and cleansed, that they can move that from that place of being their own Lord that would damn them to ask Jesus to be the Lord of their life to be saved. And he pointed them to that over and over and over again. He even pointed his disciples to this over and over again. And unfortunately, like the Pharisees over and over again, they didn't get it until he actually did what he said he was going to do. 
In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside. You know, I'm going to straighten Jesus, straighten just Jesus out. Come on, Jesus, we need to have a talk. He took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Oh, boy, that must have hurt, you know. <laughs> you're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. And it's interesting. Here is a disciple of the Lord thinking just like these enemies of the cross. Because the Lord says to them, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it up in three days. And their mind immediately goes to natural things. Hey, it took us 46 years to build this place. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? Uh, they lost sight of the fact that he created the whole world in six days, so I think he could handle a pile of stone in three days, right? But their mind immediately went to the natural. And Peter's did too because, again, he's thinking still at that point that the Messiah is going to overthrow Rome versus lay down his life to overthrow sin, to set up an eternal kingdom. And it's an ongoing pattern you see throughout this gospel We'll, we'll see it next week, the Lord willing, in John 3, where the Lord talks about being born again. And Nicodemus, who's supposed to be a Pharisee, says, I'm to crawl up into my mother's womb and be born again. He's like, you're spiritual. You're supposed to know what I'm talking about here. And the woman at the well, he talks about a water that, you know, if you drink of, you'll never thirst. And she's like, you know, thinking, of, where's this water at? I want to have a cup of it. Later on, he'll talk about eating of his body and drinking of his blood. And, and they literally think he's promoting cannibalism. And yet again, it's all spiritual. He's saying, you've got to come partake of me. Put your faith in me if you want to be saved. And it's an ongoing pattern in these gospels of men just not thinking spiritually but naturally. And it's an ongoing pattern of so many people in this world, and sadly at times even professing Christians. Verse 22. <clears throat> Notice here. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, we see this again. His disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed, notice, the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. There was great confusion, again, on the disciples' part when Christ was crucified. Even though he told them over and over again, I'm going to die, I'm going to be resurrected. When it happened, they were weeping. When it happened, again, they were disappointing in themselves because they, they, they fled as he was being unlawfully tried. They forgot all this stuff. They forgot the scriptures. But after he was resurrected, then again, because the scriptures were in their heart, they were brought to remembrance, and they believed not just because they saw the sign that he rose from the grave, but the scriptures said that he would die and be resurrected from the grave. And that's where faith came from. Again, from the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That's why we want to get the scriptures in our life, in our hearts. Interesting, the enemies of Christ remembered what he said before the disciples remembered it, and they tried to desperately stop it. Remember, they said, we need to guard this place because he said he'd be, he'd be resurrected. The disciples forgot, though. See, the enemy, so oftentimes we're thinking naturally, but the enemy of our soul is always thinking spiritually. He always is. And he's always trying to use the natural things to get us from thinking spiritually. Let me stir up a bunch of natural stuff them to keep them from thinking spiritually. So he's over here trying to really, again, spin anything he can to get us off the spiritual, thinking spiritually. And so many times we're over here caught up in the natural, not thinking spiritually. 
instead of saying, hey, why don't, listen, all this, why don't we pray? Last thing he wants. Why don't we search the scriptures? Last thing that he wants. Well, why don't we, let's take a, let's, let's, let's see what's going on here. Is Jesus first? That's the last thing he wants. And it's just interesting. It's insight into this spiritual warfare and these mind games that the enemy wants to play and so forth. Now, we're almost done here. Verse 23, it says, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many believed, notice here, in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Interesting. It talks about them seeing the signs. With the disciples, it talks about them remembering the scriptures. And these people believed in his name when they saw the signs, but they did not believe in him for their salvation. And that's evident in the verses that come next. It says, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify a man for he knew what was in man. Listen, Jesus was and is fully committed to his disciples all the way to the cross of Calvary and all the way to his second coming and all through eternity. He is committed. Is he your Lord today? Can you say amen to that? He is fully committed to you. A hundred percent. He leaves the 99 to find us when we go astray. He is fully 100% committed to you. Not fully committed to your agenda, but he is fully committed to you. But he would not commit himself to these who saw signs and believed in his name. Why? It says he knew the heart of all men. He knew they didn't have true saving faith. They're running around saying, show me a sign and I'll believe Versus saying, I believe the scripture's declaration that I'm a sinner and the scripture's declaration that you are the Savior. They said, show us a sign. And you see it throughout Jesus' ministry, people following because of signs, because of, again, they wanted to get bread in their belly. They, They want to get infirmities taken care of. And again, we can bring all those things before him. But who are we to test God and say, show me a sign and I'll believe. He's already given us a sign. The law of God is a sign that shows us we are filthy sinners. And his death and resurrection is the sign that he is the Savior. He fulfilled the law. And there is power in that gospel. Absolutely. So it didn't matter what they said, what lip service they gave. He, he, they gave he knew and knows the truth about all men, and he truly knew what was going on in their hearts. And he said, it says he didn't commit himself to them. And we might be able to be, play games with others, but you can't play games with God. He knows really what's going on. It also says, again, he didn't need the testimony of these men. He had the testimony of the Father. So he didn't need to say, oh, let me get a bigger crew here so there's more people. If there's more people, you know, I have more people to bear testimony of me. He wasn't dependent upon man. And listen, in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you got to know that as you share that, you have the testimony or the Holy Spirit of God bearing witness to that. Even if it's you against a million people, and they're saying, you're only one man. What do you know? We're all here bearing witness that we don't believe anything that you're saying. And how many times do we shrink back saying, man, I'm outnumbered here. Yeah, there's more of them. You don't need their testimony. You have the testimony of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to every single one of them, convicting every one of them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
And that's where the Lord wants us to walk in confidence in Him and faith in Him and trust, knowing the Scriptures. Knowing that He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And in that proclamation, listen, the Lord's right there with us. And boy, that's, that's a glorious assurance, is it not? Let's stand up and close in prayer. Well, Lord God, we bless your name today. We just thank you for your great goodness to us. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you, you have a zeal. You have a zeal for the Father's business. You, you have that zeal to fulfill Scripture. I thank you that you have a zeal for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are committed to us. And I just pray, God, that, Lord, all the more, even this day, God, forward, we could be all the more committed to you. And God, I know we can't do that in ourselves. We need strength from upon high. So even today... Lord, strengthen us from upon high with your Holy Spirit. And I would hope and pray, Lord, through, Lord, the the study of your word, even this day, God, that we would have an increased amount of faith, God, to trust to you, to look to you, God. And Lord, where we're about our business and not about, Lord, your ministry, God, I want to pray, God, you'd help us today, Lord. And that all the things going on in our life, there'd be some ministry going on in those things, God. And, uh, you know, Lord, I know that, that you're amazing how, Lord, even in the day-to-day business of life, you want to minister, God. And maybe it's just even just praying for the people we're, you know, involved in. And, and, and maybe it's just representing you, God, as you want us to. And uh, so many other things like that, God. So just meet each of us right where we're at, God. And, and, and maybe today just thoughts came into people's mind of, well, how, well, how do I reconcile that? How, how, do, how do we get Jesus first in this, God? And I just pray we'll look to you and, and your word for, for that direction and guidance. And listen, as we close here today, if you don't know the Lord, today's the day of salvation. And we talked about the good news today, uh, the bad news that we're sinners and that sin separates us from, from God. Listen, he's not bringing rebellion in, into glory, but the good news is that Christ has made that way of forgiveness and salvation. And if you haven't called on his name, today is the day of salvation. And uh, I would hope and pray that if he's not your Lord, you will call on him. And you'll ask him to be your Lord. And, and, and today, if you're in that place where you're saying, Steve, I want to do that. I, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I, I'd, I'd ask if, if you'd give me the privilege to pray with you today. And, and again, we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord. It's faith in him that saves us. But, but the Bible talks as well about calling on his name as an affirmation of that faith. And I'd like to pray with you if that's you. And those of you that know the Lord, I want to invite you to to pray as well just a simple prayer just just pray with me say dear lord jesus i know i'm a sinner and i need to be washed and forgiven i know that you are the savior that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the grave to give me life give me that life lord be my god and my lord and wash me of my sins go before me all of my days i thank you lord lord just bless any that prayed that prayer today shine your face upon them lord even right now just fill them overflowing with your holy spirit and let us finish well with our voices lifted up to you let's worship them
Amen. Well, God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ and you enjoy all 23 hours of this day. God bless you.